Hello, I'm Brandon Perna, host of That's Good Sports, a 10-minute-ish daily NFL comedy podcast. Have you ever wished for a crappy version of The Daily Show, but only about the NFL? Then, first and foremost, I implore you to dream much bigger. Secondly, I would recommend subscribing to That's Good Sports. Every weekday, I will be giving you NFL news, telling questionable jokes, and swearing just enough so you won't ever be able to listen with your kids in the room or car. I don't ask for a lot, but if you don't subscribe on iTunes, my wife said she will leave me. Thanks, and I look forward to putting my voice in your ear holes. Welcome back. This is The Lottery Podcast on Blue Wire Network. I'm John Wasserman, lead NBA draft writer for Bleacher Report. So, I mean, kind of trying to pick my spots this summer. When to record, when to just lay low, realize, you know, it's not worth forcing content. There's no college going on. World Cup's over. There's no NBA. Um, and again, I specialize in NBA draft and scouting, so I don't want to force content when it's not there. But I thought this would be a good week to get on the mic and talk about what's going on overseas, particularly in Australia, where LaMelo Ball and RJ Hampton, two of the top high school recruits who chose to say, forget college, forget the G League, I'm going to go test my luck overseas. Uh, LaMelo and RJ, are they've started their journeys. Exhibition has started in the NBL, and, um, and they're generating a lot of buzz, uh, particularly LaMelo Ball. I mean, everything that kid does seems uh, to go viral. And I think there's a lot of debate out there, and there always has been about whether or not he's a gimmick, whether he's the real deal, is he the NBA player, is he just a YouTube sensation? Um, and, uh, you know, of course, anything that happens with that family is going to generate attention. But uh, LaMelo Ball is deservingly creating buzz um, with his early play overseas. And, of course, um, I've been up, uh, I mean, the, the downside of him going overseas is the fact I got to wake up at 4 o'clock in the morning to watch these games but um, they're worth it and so far these preseason these exhibition games have been worth it um, I think I've taken away a lot from watching him um, after I think it's been three games or so and listen the competition you know he's not playing NBA stars he's playing NBA castoffs and you know his running mate is Aaron Brooks who had a great run in the NBA and now he's selling in to be one of the a good player in Australia and you know, he went up, LaMelo went up against uh, Melo Trimble and Casey Prather, really good college players who've kind of made a name for themselves now overseas. And so, listen, the level of competition isn't spectacular, but we're talking about much older players, guys who've had great experience, great success, I should say, at the college level, some of them um, at the NBA level for a while. And so I do think uh, any production he's able to put up in this league and I'm talking about LaMelo, who's 18 years old, I think is, is newsworthy. And uh, the big takeaway, the, the, the big event um, was LaMelo Ball going for 20 points, 13 rebounds, 7 assists against the Perth Wildcats, the NBL defending champions. So uh, this obviously generated a lot of conversation. A lot of scouts were at this game, um, and I watched um, every second of it. It was not just an exhibition game. But it went into overtime. I mean, it didn't feel like it was preseason. Uh, a lot of people, there's a lot of a lot more interest now um, with LaMelo there. So, you know, the crowd, the energy on the floor, I mean, it was legitimate. So I'm putting stock in, into this early performance. And, 
I think there's a lot of scouts who hadn't seen him that much, right? Scouts aren't allowed in high school gyms. Sometimes we forget about that. Sometimes, honestly, you know, NBA and scouting Twitter sees more of these kids um, at 18 years old than some of the NBA scouts do. And LaMelo also didn't play at the McDonald's game, not didn't participate in the Nike Hoop Summit, the Jordan Brand Classic. So a lot of these scouts are, are seeing him really for the first time, and they've kind of um, haven't really had confident opinions coming in. And so anyway, I think what's, what's going on right now, yesterday we saw Jonathan Gavoni, a.k.a. Draft Express for ESPN, put out a mock draft in an article um, talking about LaMelo Ball being now a potential number one overall candidate. Now, it's worth noting that Gavoni had LaMelo Ball coming into the season as the number 24 guy in his mock draft over the summer. Now, I was, I was on LaMelo Ball's bandwagon before his preseason success. He was number six on my board before he played a minute. So I, I really liked him uh, as a player, his skill level. I mean, I've talked about him on this podcast before. I thought uh, Gavoni and ESPN were, were underrating him and making him just say, prove it to me, I guess, before we give you a high ranking. But I was pretty confident that this kid could play. And, uh, I, you know, he's 6'6", six, six, maybe 6'7", six, uh, and his body continues to grow. Um, and, and so what we saw um, in, in so far exhibition play was... He's, he's showing that he could play the right way. I think that was the biggest concern with LaMelo. Was he going to come in and play hero ball and try and show off his flashy handles and take pull-ups from 30 feet away? No, he's been very mature, very poised on the floor, playing the right way, moving the ball, quick decisions, uh, taking what the defense gives him. You know, those 20 points, those 13 boards, 7 assists, it wasn't a showcase of LaMelo being like, watch me go, watch all these moves I could pull off. Uh, he again, he let the game come to him. Nothing was forced. Um, it came natural. It came within the flow of the game, within the offense. It looked like guys around him enjoyed playing with him. Uh, he was finding his teammates. Um, and so it was overall just a, a tremendous performance, but also a very encouraging one in terms of seeing his growth uh, from being a sophomore in high school uh, when he looked like he just wanted to show the world how big of a star he is. Uh, even in his post-game interview after this preseason game in Australia, he talked about uh, teammates and, and, and just winning and nothing about me, me, me and my draft stock. Uh, however, I will say, if you follow him on social media and something I notice and something I always pay attention to with these young kids, are they paying attention to what's being said about them? LaMelo was quick to retweet me when I talked about, uh, when I tweeted about how well he played. Yesterday, he reposted ESPN's uh, an article about him being the potential number one pick of the draft um, and him being ranked number three right now. And uh, Gavoni had a big, long post of what a scout said about him, and, and it was all positive things. LaMelo Ball posted that. So it'll be interesting to see how, moving forward, now that he's, we can see that he clearly is hearing what guys are saying about him, how he reacts, uh, if that affects his playing style. But uh, let's just talk about what he was doing on the floor. Again, 6'7", point guard. I think that's his position um, now. And, and uh, the Hawks gave him the opportunity, by the way, to bring the ball off the floor and initiate the offense. He did spend time playing off the ball as well. He had four of six three-pointers. Uh, he's changed the shot mechanics. Uh, overall, he, he doesn't have this elbow that flares out anymore that he used to. Uh, now he has more of like a flinging, pushing motion. It's really not the prettiest looking shot, but the results have been there early on. And I think we, we know about his shot-making ability. 
Uh, he could hit very high-level, high-difficulty-level shots from all over the floor. Uh, but coming in, I think there are questions about his consistency. I wouldn't expect that he'd shoot a high percentage from three right away. Listen, the shots went in during his first game. They easily could have rimmed out, and maybe the storyline would have been different. But he made the shots in this game. Uh, but I think the more impressive thing was um, his basketball IQ and his passing. And I think that's something he's going to carry with him to every level that he plays at, specifically the NBA. Uh, he has a tremendous basketball IQ, really a high passing IQ and a high passing skill level. And when you combine that with the vision and his handles, listen, he's not the most explosive guy. He's not a, he's not a Westbrook who's going to just put heavy pressure on the rim and the defense with drives. But he could shake east and west. He changes speeds. Uh, and he sees the floor really well and he can pass with either hand. Um, and, and he's looking for teammates. You know, he wants to make the highlight assist just as much as he wants to make the highlight three. And so uh, he's a true combo guard, but I think in today's league, a combo guard is a point guard. Um, and, and yeah, he'll play off the ball um, as well, and it'll all depend on who his backcourt teammate will be moving forward um, when he gets to that next level. But I think this is a guy you want the ball in his hands, you know, like Luka Doncic. Doncic, I don't know how many possessions he played, two versus one versus three versus four, but you want the ball in his hands um, in ball screen situations and making plays. And I think that's going to be the same thing with LaMelo, a combo guard, but somebody you want making the majority of your decisions, which is kind of ironic because I think maybe decision-making would have been the number one priority he'd have to work on coming in. Uh, and and if, yeah, he'll have to tone it down, I'm sure, particularly once his confidence gets pumping. You did see a couple of, uh, you know, when he got hot, we saw one or two um, unnecessary pull-ups from deep, although they were heat checks, and I think he was um, allowed to take them based on how well he was playing um, and the, the threes that were falling for him prior. But overall, Lamelo is pretty special with the ball in his hands in terms of what he could do, generating offense, creating scoring opportunities for himself and his teammates. And uh, I think he's going to have some wiggle room um, early on in terms of, yeah, he's going to make those turnovers. He's going he's gonna to get caught up and, and you know, be unable to resist the urge to take that pull-up three. But again, he's too special with the ball in his hands, and I think coaches will give him a little bit of wiggle room early. Another takeaway I had from LaMelo Ball's performance and his general overall play, um, he's, a, he's a good finisher, which is another ironic thing because he's so skinny, and he's not very explosive. Um, just looking at his physical tools and athleticism, signs point to a, a poor finisher. And... Uh, he showed some nice signs of bouncing off contact and finishing. He could finish with both his left and right. Uh, he does a good job of shielding the ball and shielding uh, his man to create a good angle at the rim, which is important. Um, I don't expect him to take a lot of free throws throughout his career, but he is a very crafty, highly skilled finisher, uh, and I think that's going to help him. Plus, also, his floater. And the floater has become such an important part of a guard's repertoire because of how good the rim protection is in the NBA with the Rudy Gobert's um, and the Capellas and the guys with the 7'5 wingspans. You need that floater around the key, that touch shot. We've seen LaMelo make floaters from four feet away. We've seen him make them just inside the arc. We've seen like 18-foot floaters from LaMelo, which really just highlights his touch and his finesse. Uh, and again, when you combine that with his three ball and his finishing ability and his passing, uh, he is probably the most well-rounded guard in this year's class, um, even ahead of Cole Anthony. Cole Anthony is, is more of a cold-blooded scorer, I think, at this point. 
Um, but Cole Anthony's uh, facilitating, I don't think, is at the level of LaMelo Balls. And it's going to be an interesting debate throughout the season since they're playing in such different settings. LaMelo versus Cole Anthony. I know guys who like Cole Anthony number one overall. Um, I know people who question whether or not he's the lead guard you really want running your offense at the NBA level. It's going to make for a great debate. But overall, LaMelo Ball, I'm certainly buying into what he's doing so far uh, early in, in NBL action. And again, I had him number six overall coming in. I'll probably have him top three by the time I do my next mock. Um, Anthony Edwards from Georgia, still at number one on my board. I just wrote an article on Bleacher Report. Check it out, breaking down his overall game. Um, I, just in terms of upside, I think there's too much talent there uh, for me to put him any lower than number one at this point. Although, we'll see if that talent translates to impact plays, uh, winning basketball. I think that's something um, that's a question that, that hasn't been answered yet for Anthony Edwards. Uh, I have a little bit more faith in Cole Anthony's ability to impact winning um, and LaMelo. But again, it's so early in these guys' careers. I don't want to nitpick too much just yet. But I think right now I have Anthony Edwards at number one. Uh, and right behind him, pretty much tied, I have Cole Anthony in LaMelo Ball. Um, and we'll see how that tie breaks uh, as we move forward into college basketball season when we see a little bit more of Cole Anthony as well um, as how LaMelo moves on from here, um, what are your shooting percentages going to look like, how is his decision-making going to evolve um, now that uh, we're all talking about how great he is, how is he going to perform with that type of pressure and, and again, with, with all this praise coming his way. At the end of a hard week, it's great to sit down, take some time off, and watch some football. Game-winning touchdowns on two-minute drives, running backs racing down the sidelines with no one to stop them. There's nothing else like the NFL, and there's no better way to make the games even more exciting than to bet on them. So do the right thing. Go to mybookie.ag. No one gives you more ways to win than they do. MyBookie's got the fastest payouts and better lines than any other sportsbook. Don't forget, where you're betting is just as important as who you're betting on. And mybookie.ag is the best in the business. It's where I play. It's where you should too. I wouldn't be telling you guys to bet with them if they weren't the best. Do the smart thing. If you're going to bet this football season, bet with mybookie. If you're the kind of guy that likes to bet a little and win a lot, try a parlay. If all your picks come through, you multiply your winnings. And no matter how you bet, the NFL season is the best time of year. Join now and mybookie will double your first deposit. Use the promo code BLUEWIRE to activate the offer. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. Visit mybookie.ag today. You play, you win, you get paid. So a few of us on this show use Harry's Razors. And if you visit their website, you can check out all different shave sets and face care products. Join the 10 million who've tried Harry's. Claim your special offer by going to harrys.com slash bluewire. Why try Harry's? Harry's founders were two regular guys tired of getting ripped off and paying for overpriced razors. Harry's makes quality, durable blades at a fair price, just two bucks per blade. If you don't love your shave, let them know. They'll give you a full refund. This summer, refresh your wallet and your face with the Harry's Trial Set. It comes with a weighted ergonomic handle for an easy grip, five-blade razor with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade for a close shave, rich lathering shave gel that will leave you smelling great, and the travel blade cover to keep your razor dry and easy on the go. Listeners of my show can redeem their trial set at harrys.com slash bluewire. So make sure you go to harrys.com slash bluewire to redeem your offer and let them know I sent you to help support the show. All right, back to scouting. RJ Hampton, the other big name 
to bypass college uh, and bypass the G League and go overseas. RJ Hampton uh, playing with the New Zealand Breakers. And another kid who just looks awfully mature. I mean, he was, I think we knew kind of when he announced he was going there, he had the, the personality and the maturity uh, built to make this jump. And uh, man, it's showing early, earlier than I thought in terms of at least uh, executing offensively. And uh, he looks awfully comfortable. Just went for 20 points against Southeast Melbourne. And um, 6'5", uh, a combo guard. He's playing on and off the ball. Uh, I've been impressed uh, with his playmaking ability. Even though he's scoring 20 points, he's dished some really impressive passes that tell me this is a kid who you can play a point guard uh, as he as he eventually gets to that NBA level when teams are going to decide whether or not to put the ball in his hands or, or put him at the two spot next to a guy who can maybe facilitate a little bit better. But I think he's a pretty balanced player, pretty well-rounded in terms of his scoring and passing. And so uh, I've been impressed, again, with his ability to, to, make, to deliver these passes um, out of pick and rolls, off penetration. But I guess the big talking point really has been his scoring production. 20 points already. Um, man, that's that's tough to do uh, this fast, moving from the high school game to the NBL, uh, again, against pros, against guys who are 10 years older than him. And um, his jump shot looks pretty good. I mean, he's missed plenty, but he, but he's uh, the makes are what I'm putting stock in as opposed to the misses this early. And all signs point to this kid eventually being um, a good enough shooter. And I think he could... Uh, knock these jumpers down from all three levels. We've seen a couple nice um, rise and fire, uh, separation, mid-range jumpers, and we've seen him uh, get good balance and a good foundation, uh, stepping into threes. Um, I think right now he's best at getting to the basket, pushing it uh, in transition, the secondary break, beating defenses down the floor before they can set. He, he's he's really executed a couple of pretty finishes around the basket. Uh, Better athlete than I thought. Now, I, I'd seen more of Lamella Ball than I had of R.J. Hampton coming in, so I've been a little bit uh, more surprised, maybe impressed with R.J. Hampton's uh, athleticism around the basket. I think he kind of looks like the guy that we all hoped Dante Exum would become. I mean, I will say that they kind of look alike. But in terms of style, again, another 6'5 ball handler who can place him too um, and really uh, thrives by, again, getting downhill, getting to the basket. Uh, so Hampton looks really good, really early. He started um, around, I think, number nine on my board. I think at this point you have to move him up uh, just based on how comfortable he looks against the, the competition that he's playing and the fact that this draft class right now um, doesn't have a ton of obvious answers and obvious uh, top five type names. I talked to a scout the other day. I said, who do you have right now at number one on your board? He goes, I don't give anyone a number one overall grade at this point of the season uh, based on what we're looking at. Uh, he's already looking forward to the 2021-2022 drafts uh, where the talent projects to be much greater. Um, this is going to be a down year, at least so far based on what we're looking at, although it's really nice to see, again, Lamelo and R.J. Hampton you know, outplaying early projections. So Hampton, uh, again, looks great. Uh, versatility, high skill level, athleticism, all the ingredients are there. Uh, the, the maturity, just listening to him have a conversation off the floor, listening to him interview, um, he seems a lot older um, than what his age might suggest. So uh, seeing a lot of good things from Hampton and, of course, Lamella Ball, two um, young players exceeding expectations overseas early. You have to wonder 
if some of these high school kids are seeing how well they're playing early and they're wondering, wow, if those guys can excel overseas, make a little bit of money, and go high in the draft, and get this exposure. I mean, Facebook is streaming their games, and they're generating buzz. Uh, maybe high school kids will start to change course. And, and you know, every year there's going to be one or two guys who think out of the box and, and try and do this. The Terrence Fergusons, the Emmanuel Moudiers, um, and now LaMelo and RJ Hampton. Um, I've said before, I think there's always going to be one or two guys, but I wonder if maybe moving forward, if LaMelo and RJ Hampton are so successful, not just playing-wise, but draft stock-wise, if, if they can go top 10 in this draft, and it looks like they're on their way to doing that, that we really will start to see more players uh, show a willingness to say, forget college, uh, I'm going to go overseas, make some money, uh, develop my game against pros, and actually not even against pros, but with pros. Having pros as teammates, having former NBA guys as teammates is so helpful uh, from a mentorship standpoint, but also to practice against them every day. You, know, you forget about how beneficial it can be to actually have f- former NBA players be your teammates when you're 18, 19 years old. Um, I figure it's worth talking about a couple of the other international names who I have in the lottery top 10 conversation who started um, while college basketball is kind of, you know, the practices are getting going. Um, but some of these international guys, like Killian Hayes, 18-year-old Frenchman now playing in Germany. Hayes is a guy who I had top 10 coming in, and uh, so far, so good. Opened the other day with 15 points, 6 rebounds, 6 assists. Just a, a true table setter. Pretty good athlete. Uh, a guy who just knows how to facilitate for teammates. Great passer. Uh, slips through uh, ball screens. Uh, great in pick-and-roll situations. Uh, big question is, can he shoot? And he knocked down two or three threes in his first game. So Killing Hayes is off to a good start and somebody who we're going to be talking a lot about over the season. And just a reminder, we're going to be talking about a lot of international guys, much more than usual this year. A, because there just happened to be a lot of them that are, that are pretty good uh, in this particular class, but also because college basketball's prospects, uh, it just seems to be like it's going to be a down year. That could obviously change. There's always breakout guys. We never saw Trey Young coming, or most of us didn't. I, I didn't have Trey Young um, as, a, as a top five prospect uh, before his college season. There's always going to be those surprise breakout guys. But this year, uh, there just happened to be a lot of good draft-eligible international players, including Killian Hayes, including Teo Maladon, uh, another French point guard, and Israeli swingman or combo forward Denny Evdia, who was uh, the MVP of the U-20 European Championships uh, a couple months ago. From the scouting conversation, I think that's that's all we can cover right now. Again, I don't want to force the issue. I don't want to read too much into what I'm hearing of practices, you know, for two days. And uh, we're going to get into that throughout the season. So sit tight and tune back in. Probably starting in October, we're going to be talking a lot more uh, with guests, um, other writers, coaches. Uh, unfortunately, scouts are not allowed to talk uh, about prospects um, before the draft. So uh, no scouts. But uh, yeah, I'll get a lot of different guys from different backgrounds again to, to come on and share their scouting opinions because I think it's interesting to hear perspective from more than just me. But uh, I figured this was a good opportunity to talk LaMelo, to talk RJ Hampton, to talk some of the international guys who are playing right now before college started. Uh, before we wrap up, I just wrote an article on Bleacher Report um, titled The Biggest Question for Every NBA Team Ahead of the 2019 Training Camp. I figured I'm just going to run down all 30 teams and give you my biggest question um, that I think is going to be 
swirling um, in in the gym and in the front office uh, as teams prepare for the season. I think with the Atlanta Hawks, the big question is, you know, does Trey Young elevate this team in year number two by taking the step from productive rookie to impact star? I think everybody knows the Hawks are on the rise. How far is Trey Young going to take them? How big of a jump does he make in year number two? Boston Celtics, how will the transition from Kyrie to Kemba Walker play out? Uh, I, I wonder if actually the team feels a little bit more confident with Kemba. Maybe they feel like more of underdogs this year. Maybe there's a little bit less pressure for the Celtics. And if Jason Tatum takes a big leap, um, you know, can they be better than last year? I, I'm, I'm big on Kemba. I, think, I don't think there's a huge difference between him and Kyrie. And honestly, Kemba's low-maintenance type style, you know, that may fit better with Brad Stevens. So I think that's the big question. Obviously, how did they transition from Kyrie to Kemba? Brooklyn Nets. How will Kyrie mesh with this Brooklyn Nets team? They've already been established and building chemistry. You know, they have D'Angelo Russell. They're on, they're on fire. They're making the playoffs. And then they let Russell go. And now you bring in a strong personality like Kyrie, a ball-dominant guy. On the other hand, D'Angelo Russell was similarly ball-dominant. So I don't think they have to adjust too much in terms of uh, their new point guard style of play. But it'll be interesting to see how they just uh, swap point guards and, and see what happens um, to a team that already had been building chemistry and really rising uh, with each season. Charlotte Hornets. Not too much exciting going on in Charlotte. I think the big storyline uh, for the Hornets entering training camp is how big of a jump can Miles Bridges make as the featured player in this offense. Uh, you know, I'm not so high on Terry Rozier. Uh, whatever his contract is or not, I think we know what his ceiling is. We know who he is. I think the big question for the Hornets is can Miles Bridges ever be a star? Because they have... Uh, they don't have very many high upside guys. And I like P.J. Washington. I don't think he's going to be prepared to put up monster numbers this year. But Bridges in year number two, he only averaged six and a half shots per game last year. That's got to double, if not you know, almost triple this year. He's got to be more aggressive. Uh, he is the future of that team. Hopefully, um, he can make a jump. Chicago Bulls. How's the Larry Markkinen, Wendell Carter Jr. duo going to progress in year number two? They didn't play too often last year. Wendell Carter only played 44 games. Markkinen played 52 games. Together, they played 436 minutes. They were a minus 13.7 net rating when sharing the court together. Uh, if the Chicago Bulls are ever going to elevate themselves from, you know, middle of the pack to top of the East, uh, they need Markin and Wendell Carter Jr. to really uh, carry them. And Markin's on the right track. Uh, Carter was hurt last year, didn't shoot the ball well. I think he's got a lot more upside to hit, but he's got to stay on the floor. He's got to stop fouling at three and a half fouls per game last year, playing 25 minutes. So he's got to improve in that area. Um, so the Bulls are going to need those guys, Markin and Carter, to mesh uh, to really take them to the next level. Cleveland Cavaliers, how's Colin Sexton and Darius Garland going to coexist? You know, it was clear case of take the best player available, forget about fit when they took Garland at number five. He's a very similar player to Sexton. These are two um, scoring point guards who are not nearly as efficient in terms of facilitating. So how is that going to work offensively? Is the Cav- are the Cavs going to have enough playmaking in the backcourt? Are they going to be able to stop anyone with two guards starting who are 6-2 and neither known for their defensive chops? So I think that's the big question in Cleveland. How does that backcourt play out? Um, Dallas, how quickly does Luka Doncic and Kristaps Porzingis gel? And how quickly can they lead Dallas up the standings? I just wrote an article um, that was published on Monday um, uh, about how much I love the Doncic and Porzingis pairing. I think they fit perfectly on paper. They're going to be the best pick-and-roll, pick-and-pop duo in the NBA with Doncic's uh, special uh, ball screen skill set um, and his vision, his change of speed, his passing, and 
Obviously, Porzingis' ability to play high above the rim as a finisher, but also pop out in the mid-range to three-point land. So it'll be interesting to see how two guys under 25 years old, how fast they can carry Dallas back up the standings uh, into relevance. Denver Nuggets. I think the big storyline in training camp is Michael Porter Jr. Is he going to play? How good is he going to be when he gets back? How big of a role can he take on in Denver? Remember, this is uh, the projected number one overall pick coming out of high school. Uh, then slips to number 14 after hurting his back, only playing a couple games at Missouri, then misses his entire rookie season. Just missed summer league again. Can he stay healthy? Uh, is his back going to hold up through 82 games? And where is his skill level at? Where is his feel at? Uh, 6'10", face-up score, has three-point range, can attack. Uh, it'll be interesting to see you know, what he does this year if he has much of a role in Denver. That team is already loaded, uh, also very deep, but I think Porter has the highest upside among their forwards. So he's a guy who could eventually be a starter for them if, of course, he can get healthy and get back to where he was. Uh, Detroit Pistons. You know Who's going to break out from that Pistons backcourt? We know their identity revolves around Blake Griffin and uh, Andre Drummond. But Reggie Jackson... You know, good player, not a great player. Derrick Rose, uh, is he going to give them a boost? Is he going to give that second unit a boost? I'm more interested in Luke Kennard and Bruce Brown. I think both of them are due their breakout season. Kennard averaged 15 points in the postseason last year. Bruce Brown was tremendous during summer league with his two-way playmaking, his passing, his defensive energy, and flashes of maybe shooting better. That's really the key to unlocking his upside, but still um, a, a real uh, ball of energy um, and athleticism at both ends of the floor. So I think Bruce Brown kind of introduces himself to the league this year. Who else um, from that uh, from that Detroit wing is going to stand out? Well, CQ Dumboya, the number 15 pick, um, introduced himself. Uh, so who's going to step up from the Detroit Pistons 1, 2, and 3 spots to help Blake and to help Drummond? Golden State Warriors. How will D'Angelo Russell fit with Steph Curry and this new Lick team? I think there was some pessimism uh, about how he's going to fit in. Maybe some people thought that they got him just as an asset in the sign-and-trade and that they're eventually just going to deal him. I actually think he's going to play a big role for this Warriors team, and I think he's going to fit in. Um, he's been playing 90% of his possessions since entering the league at point guard, so he does have an adjustment to make. Obviously, Steph Curry is the guy who who controls the offense, and, and it runs through him there. Um, but I think Russell is a skilled enough player, brings enough versatility to play, uh, to, to work as a spot-up shooter, to act as a secondary playmaker, um, to also take over and let Steph run off the ball because he's so good at, at relocation and, and spot-up shooting and running off screens. I think it's going to work well together, and I think Russell is going to play a big role in why the Warriors are still going to be relevant to the top of the West. Houston Rockets. Can Westbrook and James Harden coexist? I mean... Uh, on one hand, you got two of the best guards in the league. They're going to put relentless pressure and opposing defenses. On the other, if we start nitpicking at the numbers, you know, can Westbrook play off the ball? He made less than one three-pointer a game, uh, one jump shot a game um, as a spot-up shooter last year. Uh, and, of course, do you want to take the ball out of Harden's hands? I mean, he's so freaking good with it in his hands. Uh, why take? Why pair him with a guard who's so ball-dominant? Um, like Westbrook. So it's going to be interesting to see how they share the ball. Are they going to be able to maximize each other's individual potential sharing the ball? That's going to be the question in Houston. Can they uh, elevate the Rockets um, to that next level to get to the Western Conference Finals um, and then into the NBA Finals? Indiana Pacers, what version of Victor Oladipo will be coming back after that quad injury? He's obviously the key to unlocking the Pacers 
upside. I think Nate McMillan has done a good job of maximizing the talent on that roster, and Miles Turner um, should be improved uh, spending this summer with Team USA. Also, the Pacers get Malcolm Brogdon. They get TJ Warren, uh, who I think replaces Bogdanovich, two similar scores. But the Pacers are only going so far if Oladipo is only half the guy he was. They need to be the guy he was in 2017-18 when he averaged 23 a game and was really on the verge of becoming an NBA superstar. What kind of version of Oladipo did the Pacers get back? The Clippers, of course, made more noise than any team this offseason. You know, how fast can they gel with Kawhi and, and Paul George? And, and do they have uh, the right supporting cast to win a title? How will Lou Williams adjust to a reduced wall? Can Rodney Magruder, Jermichael Green, uh, Evika Zubac, Maurice Harkless, can they be reliable rotation players on the championship-level team? Is there enough playmaking with the starting backcourt of Paul George and Patrick Beverly? Does Montrez Harrell add enough rim protection to combat the Lakers' duo of LeBron and Anthony Davis? You know, the roster is obviously top-heavy with, with uh, Paul George and Kawhi. They're so special. They can lead you to 50 wins uh, with a bunch of kids as teammates. But we're talking about title or bust, I think, with this lineup. And do they have the right supporting cast? And can this team gel quickly enough uh, to make it happen? Same question about the Los Angeles Lakers. Did a similar thing. Now they have LeBron and Anthony Davis. How fast is this all going to gel? And uh, is the supporting cast good enough? They threw a bunch of random guys together. Avery Bradley uh, is there. Danny Green is there. Um, uh, Rondo is back in a point guard. Dwight Howard is there. Jared Dudley. Um, can this can this group come together? Um, and and can Anthony Davis and LeBron lead them right away? I think their window is is not huge. LeBron turns 35 this year. Uh, eventually, he's going to start to slow down. I think they they need these this thing to to come together quickly in L.A. Uh, Kuzma off the bench uh, is going to be interesting to see how he handles that role. Um, and so the Lakers obviously have a lot of moving parts. Can they put them all together and can they do it quickly? Memphis Grizzlies. Nobody expects any wins from the Grizzlies. I think the big question is how good are their young players? How good is Morant? How good is Jaron Jackson Jr.? And how good is Brandon Clark? That's all we're going to care about is their development. I'm super high on Jaron Jackson Jr. I think he is a superstar waiting to happen. I have less confidence in John Morant, um, and particularly with this group without many stars around him. I think that would have helped if Morant went to a situation where he had talent to play off. Uh, I think he's going to lead the league in turnovers or, or come close to it. And I still question his shooting, but obviously uh, such an explosive athlete, a terrific playmaker and passer. I think he'll finish top five in assists right away. How much does he develop as a shooter? And Brandon Clark, uh, one of the highest floor guys of this past draft, the Summer League MVP, unbelievable defensive instincts, terrific motor showed in Summer League. There's more offensive versatility to his game. He knocked down five threes. We didn't see any of that really at Gonzaga. So uh, what kind of player does Brandon Clark become? Does he just your typical energizer, or is there more upside to the Grizzlies to unlock with Clark? Uh, the big talk will be about those three young prospects in Memphis, along with Grayson Allen. Forget he's there too. Miami Heat. Should they make a play for Chris Paul? I mean, is Justice Winslow and, and Dragic enough? Now that they have Jimmy Butler, they're looking to win now. Is Dragic and Winslow the answer at point guard? I'm not so sure. I'm also not so sure that the right move is to go out and get Chris Paul and the $124 million that's left on his contract. Um, so they have an interesting decision to make Miami Heat. Do they make a play for Chris Paul, put their eggs in the basket of Paul and Butler and Adebayo? And also remember, Tyler Hero is going to be there. I think he's going to play a role right away. So the Miami Heat have some interesting decisions to make. Milwaukee Bucks. 
you know, with Kawhi Leonard now in the West, do the Bucks have enough to emerge from the East after losing Brogdon and Miritich? I don't know if they got much better this offseason. They didn't really make too many big moves. Um, they've added Kyle Korver, Wesley Matthews, Robin Lopez. I'm not sure how much they moved the needle. It's a good thing that the Raptors won't be there at the top. However, the Sixers, I think, got better. Uh, the Brooklyn Nets got better. Um, and uh, the Celtics are, of course, I think they're going to be there. So uh, interesting to see uh, where Milwaukee goes. Uh, you know, are, are they still the favorites to come out of the East, even after not making many big additions? Uh, can Giannis take another step forward as he has gradually done since entering the league? Minnesota Timberwolves. I think the big question is, can Andrew Wiggins change? He's gotten worse over the past couple of seasons. Uh, he's making a, a lot of money, $29 million this year, 31 the next, 33 the next. Um, and and if, the, if the Wolves are going to take that next step, they need Wiggins to change. And now they have Jad Culver, who they just drafted, waiting. I think Culver is going to be like a better version, a more efficient, more versatile version of Wiggins. Wiggins needs to find out a way to be more efficient as a scorer within the offense. Um, he offers so little playmaking ability, which is not ideal for a wing who's going to have the ball as much as he does. And uh, he's just got to be more consistent defensively. Uh, just got to get his head into the game a little bit more and find more ways to impact winning than just to put up 18 uh, meaningless points per game. Uh, you know, empty points is what I'd like to call them. New Orleans, you know, how will all these new pieces, young, old, and, and new, how are they going to fit together? And, and, you know, how big of an impact is Zion going to make in year one? I mean, all these guys, they got guys from all places coming together. Alonzo. Uh, and Ingram from L.A. Now you have Zion Williamson, who's going to play a big role. Drew Holiday is like the only guy uh, left there. Then they signed J- uh, J.J. Redick and Derek Favors. Um, a lot of pieces coming from all different places. How is it going to turn out? This doesn't look like a roster that's rebuilding. This looks like, you know, if you look at all these players in a vacuum, this is a pretty good roster that should be able to compete. But will they figure it out? Will Zion be as dominant as a rookie as he was at Duke um, without the shooting, without the Ball handling in the half court, of course, he's great in transition, weaving in and out of traffic, but in tighter windows, he needs to improve his shot creation. So what's going to translate for Zion? What won't? How good will he be? Will he be able to match Luka Doncic's rookie year from last year? I don't think he will. I think he'll be plenty of, uh, efficient, um, but I'm thinking maybe he goes for, you know, 17-9 and nine this season would be my prediction for Zion. The Knicks, you know, how is Fisdale going to manage trying to win games um, with veterans while effectively developing the young players. I mean, after trading Porzingis, signs pointed to a rebuild. You know, you trade your best player for Dennis Smith and draft picks, um, you're, you're talking rebuilding. On the other hand, they also opened up cap space. Then they failed to use that cap space wisely. They couldn't get Durant. They couldn't get Kyrie. They couldn't get Kemba. They couldn't get Clay. They couldn't get Kawhi. Instead, they settled for, let's go down the list, Julius Randle, Marcus Morris, Alfred Payton, Bobby Portis, Taj Gibson, Wayne Ellington, Reggie Bullock, Who's going to play? Uh, who's not going to play? I mean, some of these rookies that they need, some of these rookies, sophomores, Trier, Nilakino, what a great World Cup, Kevin Knox, R.J. Barrett, these guys need to play, but they're not going to be able to play, not going to be able to have those touches that they need if Randall and Peyton and Morris and Taj Gibson and Bobby Portis are taking those touches. So how is Fisdale going to manage this? How is he going to split it up? How is he going to improve the younger guys while also feeding the older guys who are making money and expecting to get those touches? How is he going to balance it all out? I don't know. Uh, it's going to be an interesting situation in New York, as it always is. Oklahoma City Thunder. What should they do about Chris Paul? I mean, they make this Russell Westbrook trade. They get Chris Paul back. There's no way that they intended to keep Chris Paul. I think they finally realized, oh, shit, I, we can't deal him. Nobody wants him in his contract. This is a lot tougher to deal Chris Paul than we thought. Uh, 
and they got Che Gilgis Alexander. I mean, he's the future there. So how long does Chris Ball stay? Can they pull off a trade? Miami Heat make the most sense, um, but it's going to be tough to pull off. Um, and so we'll see how long Chris Paul stays there when everybody knows it's really a temporary situation. Uh, when do they just say, you know, Chris, take a seat. We, we, we're rebuilding here, uh, and Shea is our priority. So I don't know how they're going to figure this out. Uh, hopefully they can come to a resolution, and I imagine Chris Paul wants out too so he can play for a contender. Orlando Magic, Markel Fultz. I mean, is he ready? What's he going to be look like when he is ready? Orlando's making moves. They're improving every year, but their upside is capped unless Fultz comes back and becomes the number one overall talent he look like coming out of Washington. I have no idea. Uh, this is a shoulder injury that also affected his mental psyche, I believe. And so uh, is he fixed? Is his shoulder better because he needs the three ball to maximize his potential? Shooting was such a, a big weapon of his coming out of Washington. He was over 40% from three. One of the big reasons why he was a 20-point scorer. Without a three ball, he's not going to be a 20-point scorer. And he's not going to reach um, that number one overall potential. So uh, when he, when is he going to come back? If he does come back, is he going to be able to shoot from the outside? What's his confidence going to be like? The Magic need him to maximize their potential. Uh, all eyes on Markel Fultz in Orlando. Philadelphia 76ers, did they get better this offseason? They lost Jimmy Butler. Did they get better uh, just by adding Al Horford? And uh, they lost J.J. Redick, but they also got Josh Richardson. Um, Matisse Thibel was a good draft pick, I think. They'll get uh, Zaire Smith uh, into the rotation now, uh, coming off a healthy offseason. I think he had some nice flashes. Um, they made some interesting swaps, you know, losing Redick, losing uh, Jimmy Butler, but getting Horford, who's going to be a really good fit there in terms of leadership, in terms of defense next to Joel Embiid. And uh, Josh Richardson, I think, is a very underrated player. I think he's going to fit really nicely. Um, and so I, it's really up, uh, tough to say if they got better, if they stayed the same. Did they regress by losing such a star like Jimmy Butler? Uh, I think they're they're going to be right there in that uh, uh, Eastern Conference Finals mix and, and the Bucks' biggest threat. Um, so um, I definitely don't think they got worse. I actually think that if I had to guess, uh, the Sixers got better, and I think this is their best chance to advance to the Finals. Phoenix Suns. You know, can these new veterans help the franchise escape this tanking phase? They've stockpiled so many, so much young talent over the years, but uh, they haven't, they haven't won any games. They've lost 58 games at least in four consecutive seasons. Now they have Ricky Rubio, uh, and now they have Dario Sharch, and Frank Kaminsky is going to play some four and help stretch the floor. Um, so, uh, and they have Aaron Baines, who I think gives them needed toughness, needs a physicality. Uh, so they got. They, they filled some holes with needed veterans, but is it going to be enough to, again, elevate this team from the bottom of the standings? Can DeAndre Hayton make a jump in terms of his defensive and his energy? Uh, I think Devin Booker is already somehow underrated, averaged 27 points and 7 assists. Uh, needs to improve defensively, but hopefully with Ricky Rubio uh, being able to uh, take on more of a playmaking role, uh, Booker can, can spend more energy uh, scoring and defending. So, I'd imagine they'll have more wins than 19, but uh, tough to say how much Rubio is going to carry them up the standings. Portland Trailblazers. Can Hassan Whiteside, plus these breakout seasons, potential breakout seasons from Anthony Simons, Zach, Zach Collins, can they help power the Portland Trailblazers over the West best? Uh, man, they so much pressure is on Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum, um, and Nurkic is out. Does Whiteside give them that extra boost to, to carry them to that next round of the playoffs? They were swept by the Warriors last year. 
Whiteside's value is really tough to peg. It'll be interesting to see um, if he is the answer for them. Uh, it looks like Nurkic will be out until February. I think if they find out that they're not any better with Whiteside, uh, who's got one year left on his deal, they'll try and just deal Whiteside at the deadline uh, and then reinsert Nurkic back and trying to stick with what they have. Uh, I do think that their ceiling is capped with the current roster. Um, but we'll see what happens uh, with Whiteside and whether Zach Collins and Anthony Simons, who was terrific in Summer League, if those two can make a jump and really boost this team as well. Sacramento Kings, you know, are they ready to be taken seriously? I know they were a tremendous storyline last year, up to 39 wins behind De'Aaron Fox. This year, Fox should be even better. I think Fox makes the all-star team this year. Backley entering season number two. Uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich just dropped 28 points on USA in the World Cup. He's underrated. He's ready to have a big season. And the Kings made some under-the-radar interesting veteran acquisitions in, in, uh, in the free agency. Corey Joseph, Trevor Ariza, Dwayne Dedman. Those are solid veterans that they need to improve the team's credibility, improve the leadership. Um, and uh, so I think they're making the right move. They're going to be improved from 39 wins, but is it going to be enough to make the playoffs? Oh, I forgot to mention Buddy Heald, who drops 20 points a game already. How big of a jump is he going to make after getting to the 20-point mark last season? So a lot of nice ingredients in Sacramento. They're fun to watch, fun to track, um, and we'll see how seriously uh, teams have to take them. Are they going to be a tough out in the first round of the playoffs if they get there behind Fox, who's one of the most electric young guards in the NBA? The San Antonio Spurs, how good can their backcourt be? Uh, we know about DeRozan and Aldridge. But I think the big storyline in training camp is you get DeJounte Murray back, who tore his ACL last year. Lonnie Walker is entering season number two after a tremendous summer league as well. And then you have uh, my man Derek White, one of my favorite guys coming out of that 2018-2017 draft. Um, and uh, he averaged 15 points in the playoffs, and he played with Team USA this summer. He could be poised for a breakout. So the Spurs have a trio of young guards um, and that's the future. Eventually, the Spurs are going to have to rebuild at some point. Unless they flip these young guys for another star, and they have Aldridge, DeRozan, and another star, uh, and they try to keep the momentum going, try and compete in this current window. But I think eventually, all odds say that the Spurs are going to have to eventually rebuild. It seems like they never do. Um, and I think they're going to rebuild around their backcourt. We'll see how good uh, that can actually be. Toronto Raptors, obvious question here is, what should they do? Do they continue to try and compete without Kawhi Leonard and just hope that um, Pascal Siakam uh, takes another step forward and can lead this team back deep into the playoffs with Kyle Lowry and Marcus Saul and Ibaka. Uh, those three guys are going to be free agents after the summer. So if it's not happening, if they realize midway through the season that this team just has no shot to compete deep in the playoffs, they got to restart. They got to shop those guys at the deadline, build around Siakam long term, but then flip Lowry. Gasol and Siakam for young talent and draft picks because this team's window, let's be honest, I mean, this team's ceiling uh, without Kawhi Leonard is capped. So I, I think that's what they're going to have to do. They'll start with those guys, but around February, when they realize that they're only a, you know, a, a first or second round playoff team at best, they got to they gotta trade those veteran guys and start from scratch, build around Pascal Siakam. Utah Jazz. Are Mike Conley and, and Boyan uh, Bogdanovich enough to get the Jazz into the Western Conference semis and finals? I think they might. Now, uh, the Jazz, they, they lose Ricky Rubio, but they upgrade with Conley. Conley is, to me, big time, of course, the cliche, like the most underrated player in the NBA. Everybody says it, but he really is. Last year, averaged 21 a game, so he gives them uh, more offense, takes pressure off Donovan Mitchell, 
who uh, had to take 23 shots per game in that in that um, uh, series loss um, in the uh, in, in the playoffs last year to the Rockets. Conley takes less pressure off. He improves their defense at the point of attack. Uh, gives them a, a facilitator, which I think Ricky Rubio did the same. But uh, just in general, takes less, takes more pressure off um, Mitchell. Gives them good leadership, and I think the the more Bogdanovich, another just underrated pickup. This guy dropped 18 a game last year for the Pacers. He gives them a big scoring option on the wing. I think they could have really used that. They lost Jay Crowder, uh, but I'll take Bogdanovich's scoring. They needed more offense. They already had the number two defense in the league uh, behind Rudy Gobert. So uh, I'd watch out for the Jazz. They're a sneaky team to exceed expectations and have the best season that they've had in a long time. And last and probably least, the Washington Wizards, who just, their roster stinks. Uh, what to do with Bradley Beal? Tough call. General Manager Tommy Shepard has said publicly he's not trading Bradley Beal. Uh, I understand it. He's their best player. He's their only sure thing. Uh, he's 26 years old, but listen, his window just doesn't match up with the Wizards' window. I mean, he's he's in the prime of his career on uh, arguably the worst roster in the league. Even if Rui Hachimura, uh, the number nine pick of the draft, has a strong season, the Wizards are still going to stink. And so it's going to waste prime years from Bradley Beal. Um, it's, it's just a tough situation. You know, I wouldn't expect John Wall to come back at all this season, and if he does, he's not going to be the same guy. Um, so you're just wasting prime years with Beal, even though he is their best player, I think they just have to come to terms with. They have to restart and and look at this new window that they're talking about. You know, it's not they're not going to win anytime soon. So why waste these prime years on Beal instead of flip Beal for multiple assets, a lot of picks, uh, young talent, and uh, and start preparing for you know the 2023-24 season, which is when you know that's probably going to be when they start to to hopefully you know climb back up the mountain. Anyway, thanks for listening. Um, and uh, again, in October, we're going to start more with guests um, with a lot more content in terms of scouting. College uh, will start to pick up and NBA preseason will start to pick up. We're certainly talking about uh, how the rookies are performing early. Uh, I'm John Wasserman. Hit me up on Twitter, NBA Draft Was. Thanks for listening and we'll talk soon.